This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. My mom is 65, and I think even women of her generation, there was much less talking about these things and these microaggressions, and these daily kind of fears that women live with. And so when we talk about having to change a culture, I think the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that there is this culture. And so that's what makes me feel hopeful is it feels like we live in a time when we can really name and discuss these things. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, an American teacher abroad. Today, we're finally going to have our long-awaited, if I'm being honest, my long-procrastinated Nerd Farm Reads book club conversation about Know My Name, the phenomenal book by Chanel Miller. But before we get there, a special announcement. On our last episode, we had Claire Hanscom, and Claire is a book champion and a bookseller for East City Books in Washington, D.C., and also Libro FM. And the response to that show was great. People reaching out with their own book recommendations, asking if they can hear from Claire again. Uh, It's my intention, I think, to reach out to her and have her back on the show uh, in the future to give more book recommendations. Uh, But based on that episode, we decided at Channel 253 to partner with Libro FM. So here's the deal. If you listen to podcasts, which you do, you're doing it right now, you probably listen to audiobooks. I know that I do. And maybe you're buying your audiobooks from Audible. Maybe some other podcast got you on a membership of some sort. That's what happened to me. Listen. Amazon's kind of the devil. And if they're not the devil, like they're devil adjacent. And I'm actually going to have an episode in the near future where I talk about D Amazon in your life. But that's a different conversation. Here's the deal. It's time to switch. And so if you want to switch from Audible or if you want access to audiobooks, I'm going to highly recommend you make a switch to Libro FM. Libro partners with local bookstores like my favorite bookstore, King's Books. And in fact, every purchase that I make supports King's Books. So here's the deal. Here's the offer. If you go to www.libro.fm slash redeem slash Tacoma, you'll get a two-for-one offer where you'll get two books or two credits uh, for your first month. And so if you want to jump on that opportunity, it's really great. So what you do basically is you pay 15 bucks a month and you get a credit a month and that credit allows you to buy a book. And if you buy additional books, then King's Books gets a portion of that purchase price and your first month is a two-for-one. It's really an offer you can't beat. And so... Check it out. Again, it's libro.fm slash redeem slash Tacoma. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, we have a cast of all-star show guests today. Uh, we have Hallie Kanigi, uh, veteran book recommender, runner, and one of my favorite guests on the show. I think she's going to enter the smoking jacket club today mm-hmm. with her third or maybe fourth appearance on the show. So, Hallie, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we have the lovely, gracious uh, host of the Interchangeable White Ladies, uh, my spouse, my homie, my boo, uh, Hope Teague Bowling. And we have show contributor, English teacher, f- former kindergarten teacher, roller derby. Uh, I don't know, Kat, you have like 45 superlatives. Uh, Kat, welcome to the show. Hello. 
So today we're going to be talking about Know My Name, a memoir by Chanel Miller. Uh, this is probably my favorite memoir that I've read since, oh, Michael Denzel Smith's Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching. Uh, I absolutely was enthralled with this book and thought it was uh, something that more people should read, which is why it was the book club selection. Uh, Hallie, you were the catalyst for this book being our selection. Uh, can you talk us through why did you recommend this book to us and why is this book so important to you? Yeah, um, just really quickly, I think what I was most struck by reading this book is that it felt so universal. Mm -hmm. It's about a really specific court case and event that happened to one woman, but it felt like I keep telling people it's the most clear-eyed portrayal of what it feels like to walk through this life in a female presenting body that I have ever read. And I wish mm. everyone in a male presenting body would read this book just to get a little, a little deeper level of understanding, I think, of the constant lack of physical safety. Yeah, your point about a female presenting body is really, I think, important for interrogating this book. And in fact, it reminds me, I think it might be useful to have a quick talk about pronouns really fast. So uh, my name is Nate. I use he, him. Um, and I'm going to be talking about how this book resonated with me as a straight, uh, straight male and like the role that I play as a straight male in rape culture in America. Uh, other folks? I'm Hallie and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Hope and I use she, her pronouns. I am Kat, and I use she, her pronouns, but they, them are also acceptable. Okay. Um, I also want to just offer to folks who have not read the book before and are tuning in uh, a slight trigger warning. This is a book about sexual assault uh, and a rape that happened in California. And I don't know where the conversation is going to go, but I just want to put that out there, that if that's a topic that's like uh, sensitive to you or a topic that uh, – that you may not be comfortable listening to, like it's okay to skip this one. Uh, the last episode was about book recommendations. There's lots of other books uh, you can listen to and uh, lots of other like episodes of the show to listen to. Um, Cat and Hope, I'm wondering, could you kind of, for the benefit, so could you walk, uh, the, walk the audience through, like what's the arc of the narrative of this book? What's the story that it's telling? Okay, so this is about a young lady who goes to a party and um, essentially, she realizes that she's been in some sort of sexual assault based on that she wakes up in a hospital. Um, and you just kind of follow her story from literally that point, like what she remembers from the hospital and all the way through the trial and the end and um, the, the sentencing of this human. And then... You read a victim statement, which is like the most powerful part of the entire book. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I was struck by was um, the way that she narrates the story. So you're following her along. I mean, it's the normal first person, but you're following along. And the way that she writes, like you're discovering what happened with her. And it's real trippy to go through because like, I mean, I knew what the book was about. But I didn't expect that, and I didn't expect to be pulled in the way I was pulled in. Um, as Hallie was saying, it's, it's universal. Like, the way that she captures that moment, you, you can't help but be sucked in with it and be on this journey with her, which at, at certain points, like, um, when she's talking a lot about, like, uh, PTSD and, like, struggling with, you know, how do you um, – we'll talk later, I think, about, like, victimhood and, like, what does that mean and how, to, how, do, um, how are people that are, like, victimized – 
impacted by these things or like set up in these certain positions of power or lack thereof. But like you walk through all that with her. So even there's moments where you're like, what's happening in this chapter? But you're like, no, she's, she's helping me understand how wild going through this is, how, how difficult it is to get um, therapy, how difficult it is to navigate your relationships. I mean, that is just um, a huge component of the book. Like every single part where she discovers a new thing, either about herself or about therapy, or even like when she discovers that she's not wearing panties, like every Mm -hmm. single part, like you feel deeply and immediately. And I just love that like every single chapter is, she's very, like you're in her head discovering these things with her. And it's just, it's a, it's a, a wild ride for 400 pages or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's useful to kind of start with the name. Uh, Hallie, why do you think that Chanel went with the title Know Know My Name? Yeah, um, and I think I might step back for a second and just um, level set in the facts of the case in case anyone hasn't read this book yet. So if if that's okay. Um, The events we're talking about, you probably remember from the news, and I think that we should discuss this later. Um, but if I say the Stanford swimmer case, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And we should unpack that and talk about it later in this conversation. Um, but the, back in 2015, um, the, the author Chanel Miller was, um, the victim of this yeah. crime, this sexual assault and attempted rape. Um, and throughout the entire trial, as we were watching this unfold in real time, she's known as Emily Doe. And so we're seeing mm-hmm. this, guy who just looks like kind of exactly what you'd expect um, to be this guy. He's this young, white, blonde man who is, you know, we see photos of him swimming and we see photos of him in a suit um, at the court hearings. And we know all about him. Um, His name is Brock Turner. And that's, it's also interesting in the, in the introduction of the book, um, the author Chanel says she, she chooses to use his name through the book, but says it doesn't really matter what his name is. It's Brock, but it could be Brady. It could be Brad. It could be Brian. It could be anything. Um, but for that through for years, I mean, since 2015, we've all known this case, but we, we haven't known anything about the actual victim beyond um, kind of the words that she used to, to describe this. And in 2019, she, um, she came out with this memoir know my name and she kind of stepped into the the light I guess um to reclaim the narrative and the story and I think um add some humanity to this uh what was only known as a just this um anonymous victim which I think is also really powerful it's interesting for me because I found myself going back to things that I've said about sexual assault in the past. Like I've been somebody who said things like, well, you know, they should have reported it. Why don't people, more people report uh, sexual assault? And after reading this book, I'll never say that again. Uh, I'm somebody who may not have gone into victim blaming per se, but has asked like questions about people who've been in positions where they were assaulted. Uh, I don't think I'll ever do that again mm-hmm. as well. Um, this is one of the most interesting books for me personally, because like, I am somebody who knows that in, well, I'm an asshole now, but I was a bigger asshole when I was younger. And like, I'm aware that like my friend Kenny Coble says, we're all on a journey and like my politics and like my worldview on things are evolving. And in the past, when I heard the term rape culture, I was like, ah. 
there has to be a different term, like why? But like, there's no other way to describe the environment in which, in which like female presenting people like navigate society than rape culture. And so I just want to kind of throw out to you all, uh, what does this book say to the United States and say to like people in the U.S. Uh, in 2020? Like, what does it say about where we are as a society? What does it say about like the work that needs to be done? I, so I will say that we're never going to be done. I, I wish we would, but we're never going to be done. Um, I, I only live 12 blocks from school and I walk to Lincoln all the time. And in those 12 blocks, inevitably, at least one human male or male presenting human will slow down and yell at me or talk to me or try to stop in their yard while they're watering it and ask me to come inside for lemonade or whatever it is. Like that's always, and people, and they may not mean anything by it. And they may actually want me to come in and have lemonade or they may be creepy and that's unnecessary. Um, in one line in this book, I think I put it, I hashtagged it on Nerd Farm Reads, but uh, she just reminds me that like she stops and actually yells at someone who cat calls her on the way school like when she's doing her um her photography and her art and I just I understand it so much like I want to stop and yell at those humans I have the right to walk down the street without you or bothering me or trying to get at me like there's it's it's inevitable and it's I wish that there was a way that we could tell men hey you're gross don't we do <laughs> falls on deaf ears. I mean, it just does. This book, I think really, um, it really hit me. And I think to your point, Kat, um, I have this speech pre-written in my head that I am ready to deploy at the nearest cat call. And unfortunately, nine out of 10 times they're in a car driving past me while I'm running. So all I can do is the, hey, lift my arms up and um, kind of F you gesture, but I'm ready to go uh, if anyone's ever in close enough proximity for me to ask them, you know, how their mother feels about them talking to women that way. And that's, that's weird. Like, wh why do I need to have a speech ready to go in my head to confront men who are inevitably going to be yelling at me while I'm out getting exercise? And I think what this book, um, it really made me stop and think, um, I think, Nate, like, as you were saying, just Thing. It, it made me pause. Um, and I'm someone who's lucky enough to never have um, been sexually assaulted. Uh, many of my friends have not been so lucky. And so I feel like I've kind of gotten off scot-free in some ways, but reading this book, it brought back all these tiny little moments throughout my life where I just didn't feel safe. And I think I had don't consciously think about them that often. And it's just kind of part of life that I've come to accept. But reading this book, I was like, oh my gosh, actually every day I feel probably 85% less safe than my tall male spouse does walking down the street. And that is really heavy. And um, it just really got me. Like I am not a crier. I'm a very stoic person. I don't cry at books and movies. And I sobbed numerous times in this book because I feel like it just really got what it is to be a woman in this world. Yeah. Hope, yeah how about one you? Of, I was just thinking like one of the things that she really emphasizes is like 
um, and kind of tying what you both of you were saying is like there's there's the way that the world is con constructed and the way that we have like rape culture just like systemic. Um, there's no nothing that a woman can do. It almost feels like to stop it. Like there's no right reaction. So you're you're both describing like reactions to have or like be ready for like how we've navigated it. And I think about all the different ways that I have. It's like it's never the right one. And this book really emphasizes like there isn't a right one because that's the, the culture we've set up and the attitude we've set up and the power dynamic we've set up um, almost like doesn't allow for it. Uh, so I just kept thinking a lot about that. And one of the things I loved about her writing and what she talks about is that she is trying to fight that, I think. Um, there's a line I highlighted towards the end that just says every generation will get, hopefully we, we will get more free. And so Kat, to your point at the beginning, like it's not gonna go away, but I wonder, can we get to that point? And like, what's it gonna take? I think that's one of the things I left the book thinking about, like, what's it gonna take to actually change it? And can it really be changed? Like, I wanna believe that it can be, but I have a hard time um, believing that some days. Well, Hope, I, oh, I, um, I will say that, like, when you're asking, well, this is, the, this is the power dynamic that we've set up. This is literally the dynamic that has been ongoing since, if you believe in the Bible, like day one, literally, like every culture, the man is the provider and tells you what to do. And the woman is submissive and is supposed to do whatever you say. And that's just even, okay. Even in lesbians, like we're like in my life, people always ask like, which one of us is in charge or which one of us wears the pants. Right. And I like, it's just ridiculous. Like one of us has to be in charge of something. Like, no, that's, that's silly. Um, so it's not just like in our culture, it's in every culture. It's, it's Jerusalem, it's everywhere. And it's just, it's 2,000 2, years of thinking is not gonna change in a year or a month or 10 years. It's interesting for me to think about this book because this book is, like, again, we're all on a journey. We're all headed someplace. Uh, but I feel like this book gave me a moment of realization in the same way that, like, I wish white folks would have about racial issues. If I can put it differently, like, there's a lot of white folks who, like, in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are having, like, real epiphanies about, like, their privilege and white privilege and uh, how they are safer in society and how they, it, they gain advantage of their privilege. In reading this and looking at just the ways in which the system basically re-traumatizes, re-victimizes Chanel Miller, I was more aware than yeah. ever about like my male privilege and like how, like, yes, when I'm in the United States, do I deal with racism? Yeah. But also like people aren't yelling at me, hey, good looking, want to come over here and blow me or and, and shit like that. Right. And so like, I... I, I, the reason why I want to have this conversation with you all is, is I want for more men to have the epiphany that I had about like my place in the world in this book in the same way that I'm encouraging white folks to have an epiphany about their placement in the world through like the protesting happening right now in the U.S. Uh, with, with that said, I, I, what I want to do is I want to kind of talk about Chanel Miller's story and why this story is so unfortunate. And one of the things that I think about is, is that like – Chanel Miller engaged in behavior at a party in which dudes engage in every day. And society basically tried to blame her and every step along the way. And like I was thinking about it, like essentially she's 
in having her credibility threatened and having her uh, life investigated, she's re-traumatized every step along the way. And like from the from the medical examination to the police investigation to the press showing up to the trial to the verdict to the aftermath, like at every point, like she's re-victimized. There's two questions I kind of want to put out there about this. Uh, yeah. One, does it make me a stupid person that like I was not aware that this is the system that exists? And I guess like part two would be, how do you even begin? Because like I, I think that one of the things we're talking about in this conversation is deconstruction. Like how do you even begin to deconstruct a system that is so awful towards people who are victims of crimes? So I guess the question is, am I an asshole and what is to be done? I think um, question one, to your point about um, kind of having this enlightenment at seeing all these things Mm -hmm. laid out before you and having that aha moment of, oh my gosh, that is what it's like. Um, My spouse is a Mm -hmm. great feminist justice oriented man. And I don't know if you recall this video that made the rounds maybe like almost a decade ago um, when we were newly together and it was a woman who'd worn a body cam to walk around Brooklyn or some mm. borough of New York and recorded all the cat calls that she got. And it was, it was all edited together. So it was, I mean, it was all the like kind of on fast motion as she walked through the city and we both watched that. And I was like, yep. And he was like, oh, they just added you know, like they did something in the editing, like to make it seem worse, not because he didn't believe this woman or he didn't believe that women get catcalled. It's that he doesn't walk through the world looking like a woman and understand that every minute of every day you are kind of at risk in this way. And so I think back to your question, Nate, it's like, if we haven't seen it, we just don't know, but it's, it's cultural. Like, how do you get people to stop asking questions? Like, well, what were you wearing and how much did you have to drink? And do you black out often? Mm -hmm. That's, that's deeper than like training for EMTs. That's like every layer of society. We have to start, um, restructuring in some way. Wait, actually, Holly, I want, I want to probe that really fast. So you've made the point, I think a couple of times now about like what it's Mm -hmm. like to walk the world, uh, as somebody who presents as a woman and d- deal with and deal with like the, the 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 scariness of that and scariness almost sounds like the wrong word but like the 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 trauma that comes with that you've talked about like you talked about it but like i i i still feel like there's somebody listening who is like yeah. oh that's 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 exaggeration like like what what do you mean exactly i think so i feel like i didn't even fully recognize the extent of it until reading this book actually and then it made mm-hmm. me ask some really important questions about my 34 years of life up to this point. Um, And it's everywhere I go out in the world, um, in the back of my mind, I am actively trying to prevent violence and protect myself from potential violence. I need to add the caveat that I am a white woman. And to your point earlier, Nate, like there are many layers to physical safety in the United States. And so the one I'm talking about is violence against people who look like women by generally um, by men. Um, And 
I didn't even realize that there's just that kind of like constant track in the back of my mind. And then once I started to think about it, it just felt so heavy. And I started to think like, what would it be like to just go for a run without, you know, kind of looking around to see like, am I safe for other people around me? Do I need to take a headphone out right now? Like what's going on? And I think, um, I had an experience where I was, um, looking at a, like a how to video with someone, um, that was, uh, a male and it was kind of like a, how to be safe when you run alone at night. And I, my reaction is like, Hey man, like there, there is no option unless I take you with me, I'm not going to be safe running alone at night. And so there's just those pieces where, um, I don't even think we consciously think about it that often, but there's just things that we don't do in situations we don't put ourselves in because, um, back to the victim blaming piece and the idea of rape culture of like, we can go do things that any man would do any night of the week. Mm -hmm. And we're just more at risk. Can I jump in with that really fast? Uh, how I understand, like you would not, oh, so not only am I a female presenting human, I'm also a person of color. Mm -hmm. So I can't walk anywhere by myself ever. Um, several months ago, uh, my wife and I were on a trip to go see her parents and she had to do interviews for school for the new orchestra director or whatever. Um, and I was like, I really have to pee. And we were stopped in like a parking lot while she was like on the phone. I was like, I really have to use the restroom. How long is this going to take? And she's like, we'll just walk down the street to the, to get the gas station. And I was like, this is a small town that I don't know. And I'm a female and I'm Brown. I'm not walking to that restroom by myself. And she, and like really comprehend that because she's from that small town. So she's like, no, these are like my people and, but those are not my people. So we have a lot of like, those are not my people. So I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like when I lived downtown and I lived like by Hilltop, I walked by myself all the time. I no longer live in Hilltop. So I'm not going to do that. Um, she, on page 338, when she's in her victim statement, uh, she's talking about those things that like don't matter. And she's like, so I read all the stuff about the things that he did in my sexual assault. And the end of the paragraph was about um, how good he is at swimming. Is this where I have to put my extracurriculars? Is this where I put my mile time? Is this where I tell them about my art? Um, and that's, that's what we do. Like, is this, wait, if I walk at night, it's okay because I can swim really fast, right? Like if I, if I do something awful, it's okay because I'm a teacher. If I do something awful, it's okay because I'm really nice to my cats. Mm -hmm. One doesn't cancel out the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think time and time and again, she um, really digs into like the, the fact that the victims never win. They're always blamed. They're always labeled and they're always erased. Um, erasure is one of the words I wrote down. But I kind of want to go back, Nate, you kind of mentioned just the comparison and thinking about um, about race. And I think that's one, you know, one of the conversations I hope that listeners are having with themselves is just thinking about, like, believe people of color when they tell you this stuff happens. Believe that microaggression. Believe that experience that you don't understand and you have no, like, paradigm for, right? And so I find myself, like, making that same connection here. Like, believe women. 
right? Start off with framing, like trying to train yourself to just believe from the beginning when someone says that this stuff has happened or that this is a real experience that they've had. Um, and maybe that's part of that, like reconditioning that needs to happen where we start to examine our own, you know, all those questions that pop up or like our suspicions or the whole poking we want to have in, in a story, in a given story, but just start with that framing first. I'm going to, I'm going to start from a framing of, of believing you that this happened to you and this was your experience and it's awful and I like try to have some sense of empathy. So I just want to make that connection too. I think people can use that as a starting point if you're having a hard time with this. Uh, I want to take a break here and when we come back, I'm going to go to Hallie because Hallie has like, I have 45 thoughts phase. Uh, and I also want to talk about like, it's a book club conversation. I want to talk about this book uh, and it, like it's literary merit and like the writing of the book. And then also I'm going to circle back to that believe women and a conflict I'm having personally about some accusations against Joe Biden. And so we'll be back. Hello, this is producer Doug Mackey of Channel 253. The worst earthquake I've been in was the 2001 Nisqually quake. What I remember most about that day was watching the building shake, feeling the ground beneath me move, and watching everyone around me diving for cover. I'll never forget that experience. But it's been almost 20 years since then, and we all need to build muscle memory so that in the next earthquake, we don't panic and run out the door or something and get hit by falling debris. So, do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout on October 15th at 10.15 a.m. Plan ahead. Will your drill be at home, work, or elsewhere? Wherever you are, everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, just like you would in a real earthquake. Again, the shakeout is scheduled for 10.15 a.m. on October 15th. Got that? 10.15 on 10.15. Easy to remember. You can learn more and get earthquake preparedness tips at shakeout.org slash Washington. Thank you to the Great Washington Shakeout for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the episode and listening today. Uh, this is a complicated conversation. And one of the things I pride myself on the show is having conversations about topics that are worth discussing and that are worth paying attention to. Uh, I've been thinking a lot recently about the, the, choice that, the choices that hosts make. Uh, in particular, there's a talk show host in Seattle named Dory Monson who decided to have Joey Gibson on to talk about what's happening in Portland. And what I would say is, is that like, that's weird to me to have the person who's been probably the greatest escalator of violence in the conflict come on and play victim seems like a very weird choice. Uh, when you have a show or a platform, whether it's large or small, the people you choose to have on are a reflection of your values and the voices you want to promote. And I just want to say that, like, I'm glad that you're listening to this conversation with three uh, brilliant women who I respect and uh, honestly, like, appreciate more than I can say. If you uh, are enjoying this conversation and want to hear more conversations like this, uh, I'm going to ask you to consider joining Channel 253 as a member. It is $4 a month or $40 a year, and your support helps the show happen. It helps Hope's show, IWL, happen, uh, and it helps all the other shows we have on the network happen, like We Are Tacoma and What Say You. And What Say You is indispensable in this moment right now, in the summer and fall of protest. Uh, the conversations being had by the Cunningham sisters are... Uh, indispensable. And this, and your support also helps We Are Tacoma, which is Tacoma's talk show, which is uh, giving you, man, like 
Auntie Ev comes every week basically with like insights and nuances and voices and perspectives like you're not getting anywhere else. So if this work matters to you and if you want to hear more of these stories and you want to hear good people elevated instead of fascists in Portland, uh, consider joining Channel 253. All right. Hallie, I don't even have a question for you, but while Hope was talking, your I'm thinking about 14's face, 14 things faces, faces going. So where, where, where are you right now in this conversation? Uh, well, first, what I've learned in remote work is that I have a really strange resting thinking face. So apologies mm -hmm. if it looks like I'm rolling my eyes aggressively, all of you. That's just me <laughs> gazing at the ceiling and thinking. Um, I don't even know where to go. I have, um, I mean, obviously the listeners can't hear this, but we drove to Portland and back yesterday and I wrote so many notes about this book of just like trains of thought that we should chase one of them. I mean... Kat, when you were talking about his extracurriculars, um, like I would love to unpack why we remember him as the Stanford swimmer instead of the Stanford rapist. Yeah. Like that's, that's a topic area um, on believe women hope um, where my mind goes. It's just Nate, what you were saying about, you know, originally thinking, why wouldn't more people re report um, sexual assault reading this book? I'm like, why would anybody report it ever? Like, why, why would no you reason. go through this? And so then this like fallacy of all these false accusations that are going to ruin young men's lives, um, like, come on. Yeah. But you've ruined a woman's life all along. The, all these young women are now shaped by this um, and their lives are also ruined. Oh, my gosh. When she is like the um, I think it's her victim statement. I, I haven't read them like a month, but. Um, I think it's her victim statement when she says, when Brock is saying um, he's going up to high schools and colleges and talking about the dangers of drinking because it could ruin one life. She's like, are you kidding me? Ruin one life? You didn't ruin your life. You ruined my life, you idiot. Mm -hmm. um, and that like that really struck me because they always have that like, no, it's the, it's you're ruining my precious life and this precious future doctor first of all you're not a future doctor you're a jerk second of all your job now like I think he works at a kinko's probably I don't know or his dad got him to do something but you ruined one life no you did not you ruined so many lives you ruined her life her sister families her parents her boyfriend's life like you're not this is not about you mm -hmm. you did to her and Hallie, you said something earlier. Um, you said she says his name throughout the book. I want, like, I, I read through, she only says his name like six times. In like the 400 pages of this book, she, she refers to him in like a myriad of ways, but she only says his name about six times, which I really appreciate because that reminds us that it's her story and not their story. Because we know his story. We read it. We saw it on BuzzFeed. It was on the internet. It was on the news. We know his story. We don't know her story. This is, it's very important that she, and I think she probably made it like very important that she only said his name a handful of times in those like 400 or whatever pages that it wasn't, this isn't about him. Yeah. Well, if going, sorry, I was just gonna say, and going back to, I think was mentioned at the very beginning, like the title of this book, um, even like I picked up the book and I was like, oh, you know, the book about like the Stanford rapist victim. Right. And then I was like, oh, holy crap. Like you can, what do you talk? She wrote a freaking like what? Right. And so like reminding myself that, and like, I'm, I'm like, Chanel Miller. Okay, let's go. Like, I'm going to use that name. I'm going to tell her one. I'm going to right. And, and some of that to me, I think is part of that shifting. Right. So 
getting rid of the power that he has, I think, in, in shaping, like you said, shaping the narrative or like we're remembering it as their story. I love the way you said that because it's, it's not, it's not their story. Well, yeah. but I want to go into the, the, the name thing for a second. Like there's, there's somebody listening to this show in Northern California. Uh, and like, there's a man named Brock Turner who served not enough jail time for committing a violent rape. And that person is trying to redeem himself and reintegrate himself in society. And like, I believe in redemption. Like, I believe that people should be uh, forgiven. And I don't think we should judge people by their worst moments, but also like F that guy for a thousand years. And so like that to me is important about like the know my name because Chanel's, Chanel Miller's life has been transformed by this. And she was traumatized repeatedly by the media, by the state, by, by the person who, who, who raped her. Uh, Brock Turner got every single bit of benefit of the doubt possible. And like one of the, 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 the things that's really been an epiphany for me recently is, is that like one of the most pervasive and racist and classist and sexist forces in like society is the benefit of the doubt and who gets benefit of the doubt and who does not get benefit of the doubt. And Brock Turner was given butt tons, buckets of benefit of the doubt throughout this. And I think like the part where I was the most, so like Hallie, you were talking about like crying to certain parts. Uh, the part where like my rage and blood boiled was uh, at the sentencing when the judge who was rightfully recalled, F that guy as well, uh, essentially like said, Chanel, what happened to you was really bad, but we don't want to ruin Brock's life because he has so much potential. Like when the F have we ever had a sentencing hearing where a young black male's potential was talked about by the state? Like that doesn't happen. And like I just, uh, I, I, re I really struggle with that. Hallie, I want to go back to you. Honestly, keep talking through your notebook. <laughs> Well, um, I like that you brought up the judge. And as we're talking about names, his name is Michael Aaron Persky, and he's garbage. So remember that name. Um, I read his sentencing, sentencing statement while we were driving yesterday, just to kind of refresh my memory on the facts of the case. And um, I wrote down two quotes. And Nate, back to your point. One of the things he said was, obviously, a prison sentence would have a severe impact on him. Like, who's, who's thinking about that for all the young black men that are being incarcerated and the impact of Ew. prison? Um, he also said, with respect to the media attention that's been given to the case, it has not only impacted the victim in this case, but also Mr. Turner. And I just go back to what Kat was saying, where, um, you know, he he this isn't something that happened to him. That's, that's the story. That's the narrative of the, of the story before Chanel wrote this book is that this is something that happened to this young guy. You know what? I went to undergrad in the United States. I've been very drunk. I have never been so drunk that I became a rapist. That's not mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. thing. Like mm -hmm. you're a rapist in your heart or you're not a rapist in your heart. And like no amount of alcohol or drugs is going to change that. Right. Um, yeah. Reggaeton horn right there. Reggaeton horn right there. <laughs> what? I mean, reggaeton you, horn. You cannot call for the reggaeton horn on my show. Thank you, dear. <laughs> no, I just feel like that's like the amen moment, which reminds me, right? We haven't even talked about the, the guys in the story who help, who step in. And I think, I, I think this is part of, the, of what, I don't know, there's so many things that struck me, but I think one of the things, you know, throughout the story, even the people that are supposed to be helping her and believing her in the system, they don't. And you can feel that and her experience with them, the way they talk to her, the way they treat her. But you do have these moments where people are, 
I don't necessarily want to use the word redemption, but they are like human, I don't know, decent human beings, right? Like they care, they understand, they believe, they try to understand and have empathy. They try to help her through it. And I think those, um, the guys that like found her sprawled on the garbage can yelled at him, right? And then they, he, essentially they chase him off, right? Yeah. So like, to me, those guys are heroes. And I think about what does it take to stop and change the system? Like you need, there's so many layers that you definitely need people that are going to be willing to like put their bodies on the line and stand up and be like, this is messed up. No, it's not okay. Right. It doesn't matter what your excuse is like, no, this is not okay. So dealing with it, like that's one way to, I think, fight some of this stuff. But then obviously the other things we talked about in the show, like the, in, the internal work that needs to happen, the way that we think about a sexual assault, like we were saying the judge's comments, like, that just tells you how much he, he doesn't believe that it's even that big of a deal. Um, I will say, like, I went down a deep rabbit hole after this book because obviously, and I found a whole Etsy shop with just t-shirts and stickers that just say, be the Swedes. And <laughs> I, so much. And I was just like, I could make this or I could buy them from her. Like I, I have a cricket right here. I could make whatever I wanted, but like, I like the idea of that. Because they, those two humans are the heroes. Like, I can't even imagine how much worse this would be if those Swedes hadn't yeah. chased him down and caught him and got him arrested. Because she didn't even know what was happening to stop it. Like, but someone else, luckily, was like, hey, this is not okay. And so, you know, just be the Swedes. I yeah, if, if, they, okay. if they had not arrived, like... So they're eyewitnesses. If they had not arrived, this becomes a he said, she said. And looking at the way that the deck was stacked institutionally on behalf of Brock, I imagine the outcome would be even worse than it was. Hallie, go ahead. Um, well, I would like to share some words from Chanel about the Swedes, and I would like to show you fine people. I have a bookmark labeled the Swedes. Oh, maybe you can't read it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, one piece that I think is really important is that when they were giving their statements, it's in the police report that the Swedes were sobbing, recalling this incident. So for all the attempts by the judge and um, Turner's attorneys to paint this as, you know, not that big a deal, drunk, um, you know, poor choices, something about it was so horrifying that two men who witnessed it couldn't stop crying thinking about it. That's pretty powerful. Um, but what, what Chanel wrote was, I reminded myself this was not simply a fight between perpetrator and victim. There was a third element, the Swedes. They represented the seers, the doers, who chose to act and change the story. Yeah. I asked earlier quite clumsily, like, what is to be done? And I feel like what I'm hearing is, one, believe women because they have very little to gain from making up accusations. And then two, if you see an assault happening, to be the Swedes. And the Swedes were there for Chanel Miller, and they were there for her in that moment, and they were there to chase down Brock Turner, and they were there to testify in court. And because they were there, uh, Brock Turner was convicted. All right. I have two English teachers and probably the most prolific reader I know uh, on the show. So I want to kind of just pose a literary question about this book. Uh, I was struck by both the simplicity of... Miller's prose, but also how descriptive it is. And so I just want to ask you, uh, as fans of books, what works about this book? Why does this book work so well? Why is this like, how is it that somebody who has never written a book before was able to put out probably the best memoir of the last 10 years? Kat? So I want to say, um, 
all. She's an English, she has an English degree. So, um, shout out. I don't want to think of her as just the Stanford victim. She's also a brilliant human with an English degree. And at the very end of the book, she says, I always wanted to write a book, but this is, I would have chosen a lighter topic, um, but this is my story. So she, even though she wasn't necessarily an author yet, she was, right? She's always been a writer. That's, that's kind of her, where she lived before this all happened to her. Next, her metaphors are amazing and beautiful. Mm -hmm. In the very first chapter, she says, I had taken this and put it in a jar and put it on the shelf. And then the next chapter, she like, and throughout the book, she talks about this jar that she has to keep like filling and putting more jars on more shelves. Like the entire book has this jar metaphor. And I feel that so much. Um, on like one on 153, she's talking about like Instagram and she still uses those jars. And she's like, I took a picture of a burrito just for laughs. And then I got 23 likes and then put that in a jar and put that on a shelf. Like all of the, these things in her life are just pieces that she has to close up and put them away. And I love that she's written that through the entire, like the entire book's beautiful. Yeah. Hope, go ahead. Um. No, I'm just nodding, like nodding hard at this um, in terms of the writing, in terms of it. You know what, what, something about the writing, and I can't, I still haven't been able to put my finger on it, even though it's been a, a few weeks since I've read it. I, this is one of the most like gut-wrenching, um, raw, like horrible topics, but somehow I couldn't stop reading it. And not because of like train wreck couldn't stop reading it. Like, I actually wanted to know what else happened. And the and part of that I think is like just the quality of her narration and the writing and, and her story that she's telling, right? But I couldn't stop reading it. I would I would like go to bed just so I could like grab my Kindle and like read. I don't know if you remember this at all, but I was like secretly reading in the corner like late at night. Um, and I couldn't stop because I wanted to know what happened. And also I just was like, what is going on here? I, I don't know, I couldn't stop. And the, the other piece of it as as horrible and dark as the story is, I, there was, I, the word hope comes to mind and I don't, I don't think that's the right word necessarily, but like there was some kind of layer that like, there was still this, this, um, this light, I guess, that is still in the story. And I, I don't know what exactly it is, but I don't think there was like a false hope necessarily, but just like, maybe it's the acknowledgement of the trauma. Maybe it's the acknowledgement of, um, telling your story is not weakness. Like maybe it's, maybe it's those pieces, but it still had this kind of like ring of light not just from like my kindle light um around it that i i thought was also compelling because i thought i'm gonna read this and i'm gonna feel depressed and i'm gonna be sad that the world is horrible and there's nothing i can do about it and i didn't feel that way um at all during the, the book and even towards the end no matter what was being talked about so i don't know if anyone else had that experience but i was it was it was weird i it, it took me back i was i was surprised Hallie, you were the Pied Piper and or Patient Zero, choose your metaphor for the book. Uh, why, what about this book worked so well for you? I think um, she's just a very talented and compelling storyteller. And mm -hmm. the example I would give after reading this book, um, you know, I was telling everyone who would listen. So thank you for listening, Nate, when I was evangelizing this book um, and how universal it felt just about what I got from it. And this, the story I was using um, as the example is at one point when she's in Rhode Island, I think she tells a story about buying a desk on 
Craigslist and a couple comes to deliver it, a man and a woman. And the man is like, oh, we'll carry this up to your room for you. And the woman is like, no, we'll leave it on the porch. And it's kind of this unspoken connection between the two women who are like, of of course, a strange man isn't going to carry furniture up into your room. (laughs) Um, That will not happen. And then the just that the male and the partner just didn't see it at all. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, is this the desk chapter? And it's this um, great story that's just this universal story of what it's like to be a woman. And I went back to look it up yesterday and it's like one tiny little paragraph, Mm -hmm. but the way that she wrote that tiny little paragraph has been with me since November. And um, I remembered it as a chapter. And so just what she's able to evoke in just a few sentences is really um, a testament, I think, to her narrative abilities. I, uh, I I was talking to my friend, our friend Cheryl Bacchus, um, shout out to my homie, but the other day about this book and we were talking about how to get kids to write and we we're like, we can use this book because Chanel is just telling her story. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I, I want to like, just put that out there. Like our kids, they all have a story that they can tell whatever that story is. And I just, I, I really like the way that she just told her story but told her story is just like it's brilliant and I I feel like we could use this as a way to like get our kids to write their story however that sounds like and it can be terrible at the beginning but like with editing and writing because our kids for sure on East Side Tacoma have this have a story to tell yeah there's a moment in the book fairly late where I think Hope and I had, because I think Hope had read ahead of me and was waiting for my response when a character shows up in the book and we were like, whoa, 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 where'd they come from? Uh, Hope, you want to talk about this? Sure. I'm like, do, 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 Joe Biden. And then I freaked out and then I couldn't say anything to Nate because he hadn't gotten there yet. And I was like, sure, why is he in here all of a sudden? And he's like, not a hero, but like, a good character and this particular um was in the midst of conversations that i was having about um tara reed right tara reed and just like allegations and the other again i I feel terrible being like the other women like i should know their names right um so i'm doing a bad job of my own resolve to know women's names and to believe their stories Uh, but i just was really struck by that because he's kind of um, a positive character in terms of the story and i I wrote down, like, I don't know how to, I don't know, I didn't know how to deal with it. (laughs) So I'm curious. One of the words that I have written down is motivated reasoning. So we've said earlier on that, like, the path forward is for men to be the Swedes and men to believe women. And I said earlier on in the show that, like, why would a woman ever make up an accusation giving all the hell they have to go through? And this puts me in a very difficult place because, like, for the record, Hope and I were hosted by Vice President Biden at his house at a reception, like uh, got to like speak for an extended period of time with him and his wife. I'm not saying I know Joe Biden and Joe Biden are friends. Like I don't and we're not. Uh, but I intend to vote this year for somebody who is accused of committing sexual assault. And I'm trying to figure out and get my head around the idea is – if I'm saying I need to believe women and I'm saying I believe Chanel Miller, why don't I believe Tara Reid? Or why – actually, why do I not believe is the wrong thing? Why don't I give equal belief to Tara Reid? And we said earlier on that, like, there's no perfect victims 
And this is something that like Chanel talks about in the book a lot. Like there are no perfect victims of sexual assault. Like people's memories fade over time. People's memories are fuzzy when they're intoxicated. Uh, so I was really struck when we were reading because like this book was written a couple of years ago and Hope and I were reading it about the time that the Biden accusations were going about. And so I kind of want to throw out to you all, how do you situate the accusations against Joe Biden by Tara Reid, which are really complicated. This is a fascinating Vox article that talks about like the way in which her stories change at particular times, but also with the idea that we're talking about believing women. So can I say that I, I'm going to believe Tara Reid. Um, I'm, I, I, I feel really conflicted about this because about four years ago, there was a man running for president who was accused by a lot of women of doing a lot of things. And his supporters said, oh, that's not, that's just, that's not a big deal. That was just one time. It's locker room talk. It's just what boys do. And I'm, I'm very conflicted because at this point, I was very upset with those, those women and those humans who are supporting that person. I'm not going to validate his name. Um, but I was upset with them. So now what do I do? Do I turn around and vote for a person who is accused of that with the same intent? Like, oh, clearly that wasn't real. He was, it was just locker room talk. It was, he didn't really mean anything by it. Do, do, I, do I become a hypocrite in order to protect my own interests? And again, again, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. There's a fascinating piece in Vox that looks at like the moments in which Tara Reid's story has changed. And like, she is the only person making the kind of accusation that she's making against Joe Biden. And she did not make that same accusation for years. But my question is, is that motivated reasoning for me that I am doubting her credibility when I'm out the other side of my face saying we need to believe women? Uh, Hallie? I think my mind goes to two places. And one is that it's hard. And that's... Um, I recognize the hypocrisy within myself when the accusations are about someone that I trust or admire. Yeah. Um, and I felt it, not that I'm some Al Franken stan, but I think when the stuff about Al Franken came out, I was kind of like, uh, and I found myself not wanting it to be true. And then I had to really stop and unpack and be like, why are you having this reaction? Is it because you're on the same side of the political spectrum? And if so, not a good reason. Um, think about what you're thinking for a minute. Um, it's just really hard. And I think at least being conscious and trying to figure out our motivations for wanting to um, stand by someone. And I think the other piece, I know universal is my buzzword of the morning. Um, but what feels universal also about the the Joe Biden example is there was a very smart take on Twitter. And I wish I could recall off the top of my head who I read it from. Maybe I'll find it um, and send it back to you for the notes. But basically saying, you know what, this is the oldest choice that um, in the book for women choosing between yeah. choosing the less rapey man, basically. And like this is a choice that women have to make over and over again. If you're in the service industry and you have a boss who's, you know, maybe a little creepy, do you stay and wait and let him walk to your car versus going past, you know, 
the creepy customer who's been hitting on you all night. Like these are choices that women have to make Mm. throughout our lives. And this is just another one. Hope. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I'm trying to hold is also like just the notion of um, consequence or like accountability. And so it's been something I've been wrestling with, I think since, you know, Me Too kind of started taking off and we started having more public reckoning for these kinds of things. Um, And so I think about, you know, is there one, I don't know what adequate consequences look like for each person in each case. Um, And I don't think that's up to me to decide, but I wonder about that. Like, so when I try to justify, reconcile, I don't know what word you want to use for, for my own thinking. Like when I think about that, you know, what is Biden's response and how has it changed shifted as he's, I don't know what owning, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what it is that's happening with him necessarily, but that's contract to he who shall not be named that was noted earlier um, in terms of just like a complete defiance. Right. And so I also have a different attitude towards someone who's completely defiant and doesn't think they've done anything wrong versus somebody who, I don't know, I guess you could say they're, they're faking that they have some accountability, but I still think that's one step forward. And like I said, maybe I'm just justifying, um, so that I can reconcile and be fine voting for him. I don't know. This makes I was just, okay, please. I was going to say, this makes me think about the, um, moment in the book when she's talking about the, all of the character references for Uh Turner, where person after person, like his, kindergarten teacher and his neighbor and his high school friends and his mother reading out these statements about what a wonderful person he is, except for the rape accusation. And that I think, um, it feels like an easy choice to make in the abstract. Like I am raising a young boy. And I said to my spouse yesterday, if he turns into a rapist, I'm not writing him a character statement. I will send him to jail and uh, disown him like he's three years old so I don't actually have to make that choice um but what does that look like when it's someone who you do really care about and I'd like to think I'm um I'm not going to be a character reference for someone who is a likely rapist but um that part to me was I couldn't it was really hard for me to try to get into the mindset of the people who were coming forward to say what a great guy he was otherwise. And that was just, um, it was challenging for me. Well, and that's what's so complicated about it with Biden is that is that in this moment when Chanel Miller is like being her most raw with the world, like Joe Biden decides to step up and like send her a note that basically says like, I believe you and I care about you and I value you and you're being courageous. And I just, I, I, it's a lot to process and struggle with, and maybe there's not an answer to it, and it's just something we need to kind of just sit with the, the discomfort in it. All right. Uh, I want to close up with maybe your lingering thoughts about the book and or why you think people should read this book. So you can choose which one you want to answer. Uh, what are your lingering thoughts or why should everyone read this book? Kat, you first. Um, lingering thoughts. So first I want to address that she in this book talks about this is the entire this is the time that Elliot Rogers um in California like went through and he's like I'm an incel and you sorry Nate you bitches will not sleep with me so you deserve this um and she's like this is the culture that we live in and I just want you to know that that was 
five years ago. That wasn't that wasn't a hundred years ago. That was five years ago, and that those those people still exist. Um, I oh, I have a line from this book that I want to read that I've been like holding on to. Do not attribute to surviving to willpower or optimism because none of this I had. Uh, that's, it's interesting to me that she survived not because she wanted to, but because that was the only option left for her. Um, and I'm going to steal Hallie's universal word and say that that is a universal feeling that every woman, whatever the trauma, big, tra big T trauma or little T trauma, has happened to you, you've had that option. You you survived because you had to, not because of willpower or optimism or because it was a choice. It was just the only one. Oh, and read this book because it's amazing. <laughs> you did bring up the element of death and it is striking how much death there is in this book. Like there was the spate of suicides at her high school and she's in high school. Uh, there was that shooting and that killing. Like there's, there's a lot of death in this book. And what I realized in reading it is it's not that there's a lot of death in this book. There's just a lot of death and life in the U.S. right now. Like there's just a lot of – like it's, it's very cliche to be the person that leaves the country and then goes, man, America's so violent in hindsight. But like I've left the country and, man, America, America's so violent in hindsight. Hope. Um, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, one, I think reading this book in my mind is a little bit of a form of disruption. And so do that as an initial step in disrupting the system and trying to understand and wrap your head around it. Uh, two, one of the things I'm lingering on is the way that Chanel Miller talks about or integrates the issues around sexual assault and sexual harassment um, and rape culture with other justice issues. So I actually felt she spent like the last third of the book talking, bringing up, talking about Black Lives Matters, like talking about all these integrated issues. And I think sometimes we think about oppressions as being their own thing. But I mean, I think most of us who listen are like trying on our woke journey or whatever. And so like, I really love how she's intentional with that. And so I wanted to kind of throw that out there. So um, if you're thinking about these connections, like she does bring that up. And then I guess lastly, since I want to end on a quote, since y'all were bringing up some really good passages, I really, towards the end of the book, she, she write, she says, um, do not become the ones that hurt you. And so I think about that as well in this work. It's not about um, embracing labels, it's acknowledging them, but also like, what does it mean to not become those people? And so um, that really something that is lingering in my mind. Okay. Uh, Hallie, MVG, most valuable guest, uh, yeah. closing thoughts? Um, okay, I'll share two, because one's really dark, and then I want to get more happy after that. Um, but, and stay with me, because this is going to seem like a weird reference, but one phrase um, that has stuck with me for a decade that I cannot get out of my head is um, when I read the book, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and learned that the original name in Swedish is Men Who Hate Women, like that is the most poignant, succinct, um, I, ju I just haven't been able to get it out of my head for a decade. And so Kat, you bring up Elliot Rogers, and we think about the judge in this case, and um, Turner, and all these elements of our culture that have created um, created a world where it's not totally safe to be a woman. Like that's what it is. It's, it's men who hate women. Um, and so one of the things on my mind is raising a son and, um, how do we like 
deprogram that and how to, um, you know, what have we done as a society? And I think there's something unique about the U S um, just in the amount of violence that there is, although I know it's obviously worldwide. Um, but how do we, how do we raise men differently collectively as a society? Um, so that's the darker thought. And then, um, going back earlier when hope mentioned hope, um, something that I found kind of hopeful about this book is just the idea of naming these things that happen to us and naming our experiences and the fact that we're talking about it and that there's a memoir from the side of the Emily Doe in this case for us to read and react to. And I think about even, you know, my, my mom is 65 and I think even women of her generation, there was much less talking about these things and these microaggressions, these daily um, kind of fears that women live with. And so when we talk about having to change a culture, I think the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that there is this culture. And so that's what makes me feel hopeful is it feels like we live in a time when we can really name and discuss these things. So my takeaways are one, to believe women and then two, to be the Swede. Uh, We end the show with a segment called Here. Hold this L. Hold this L. Uh, But I think I'm going to ask you all for unanimous consent that we just hand the L to Brock Turner and say that Brock Turner, uh, you sorry rapist, you need to hold this L. Any opposition there? Perfect. All right. Uh, I want to thank you all for coming on and having a difficult conversation about an important book. If people want to follow each of you on the socials, where should they look? Hope, start with you. Um, I'm on Twitter at SP on fire, E-S-P-I and then on fire. Hope, plug your podcast as well. Oh, I'm also at the Interchamber White Ladies podcast at IWL underscore podcast on Twitter, or we can find us also on Facebook. All right, Kat? I am at peanut underscore brutal on Instagram, P-A-N-U-T underscore B-R-U-T-A-L. On Twitter, I am at peanut brutal with two L's. And you can probably find me on Facebook if you want to. It's Kat Brasley. And Hallie, I want to again say thank you to you because you're the reason why this episode happened. You're the Pied Piper uh, for this book. And so, Hallie, if folks want to follow you, where should they look? Hallie Rebecca on Instagram and Twitter. It's a lot of running, a lot of books, and a lot of rage right now. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Wakanda forever, y'all. Wash your damn hands. And by the way, the Wakanda forever, y'all, hurts a little more this time around because this is the first time we've recorded since Chad Bowman passed away. And so uh, I just say, like, go ahead. Can I say Chadwick forever? Chadwick forever. I like it. I like it. Rest in power. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. You bring meaning to my life, because that's what I feel like should be playing in the background while I need talking to you, Hallie. You're <laughs> the inspiration. You stop it. You, this is all, so, so here's the I thing. You resisted. Were I didn't do that at all. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.